You're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. Stand by for this just in the latest in healthcare innovation and technology trends with your HIT advisor, Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these half-hour segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, corporate strategy, innovation, and public policy. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. And before we dive in, I'm very excited to announce that the This Just In radio show will broadcast live from the HIM 16 annual conference in Las Vegas starting on March 1st. We already have a great slate of CEO and celebrity guests confirmed, and the HIMS media team will start to roll this out in the coming weeks, but it should be a great, great time. And I'm just honored to be the first radio show ever broadcast from a HIMS annual conference. Uh, and they're even building a special uh, stage to resemble a college game day look and feel. So hopefully everyone is registering for the HIMS 16 conference in Las Vegas, and we'll see you out there. But for this show, my 31st episode, we're going to speak to a good friend, Jitna Zdani, Executive Director of the Commonwealth Health Alliance. Welcome to the show, Jitten. Thank you very much, Justin. Thanks for having me here. Uh, you're welcome. And also, hopefully you'll join the show and the lineup. I know we talked a little bit about it, but I certainly want you as one of my guests, either for an interoperability panel or a roundtable discussion. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Thank you, my friend. And Jitten has been a good friend, an industry colleague for many years. We actually co-founded Commonwealth together and served on the board together for a few years before I departed Greenway, uh, and you actually departed Athena to become Commonwealth's executive director. Is that all accurate? Yeah, that's right. Awesome. So we do have a good history, a good working relationship, and certainly a good working uh, friendship. But before Jitten, we dive in too deep uh, in all things that are great happening at Commonwealth in the world of interoperability. Let's rewind a little bit. Uh, and, uh, and where were you born and raised, and where did you go to school, college? Yeah, sure. Uh, my, my story is actually a little complicated, but the, uh, the, the uh, two-minute version of it is I'm, I was born in India, uh, and, but I grew up on the island of St. Lucia in the southeast Caribbean, and I came up here in the late 90s uh, to attend college. And you asked me which college I went to. I went to MIT, uh, where I focused on computer science and engineering. Um, uh, before uh, before going to work and then subsequently doing my uh, business school degree at uh, HBS. Yep. Excellent. No, I remember that now because I, my honeymoon was in St. Lucia, and then I just went back to St. Lucia um, about a year and a half ago, and so I have a strong affinity for that island. So that's uh, that's awesome that you were born and raised there, more from there. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful place to live. No yeah. argument there. Very true. So now diving into our industry side a little bit, um, and obviously I'm familiar, but for my audience and for everyone else, uh, tell, the, tell us about Commonwealth and, uh, and what problems you're solving in healthcare. Yeah, sure. So Commonwealth is a not-for-profit industry alliance. It was formed about two and a half years ago by a group of health IT vendors. And it's really focused on solving a very simple problem. And had, I always say it has a very simple vision that patient data should always follow the patient regardless of where care occurs. Period. That's it. That data should always follow the patient wherever they go. Very good point. Um, and who's involved today in Commonwealth? Today, the alliance consists of about 34 members. Um, about half our members are EHR vendors. They represent 
70% of the install base of hospital EHRs and about a quarter of the install base of ambulatory EHRs. It's a pretty significant EHR presence. But, you know, the remaining half are health IT leaders and innovators across the rest of the care continuum, everything from pharmacies to labs, uh, emergency medical services, post-acute and home care, all of these important settings of care where patients are seen and uh, get care. Um, and so they're, they're part of the alliance, too. We also have some non-health IT vendors. As an open alliance, we're open to any organization who believes in our mission. And uh, notably, a few state HIEs, as well as the Social Security Administration, have joined the alliance. All of them are trying to help us to accomplish our, you know, our very straightforward mission that we're, that we're out to accomplish. Very cool. So diving in there just a little bit, um, give uh, the audience, and, and certainly me, I know you guys have grown since I departed uh, the board, but who are some of the main EHRs on hospital, main EHR companies on the ambulatory, and then some of those state HIEs? Who are some of those players? I don't want to give you my favorites, but I certainly want to dive in a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. I'm happy to give a flavor at the risk of leaving out you know, so many other great members who are part of the alliance, but some of the, you know, the big household names, uh, if you're in the health IT industry. Yeah. Uh, on the acute care side, uh, particularly, there's Cerner, McKesson, Evident. On the ambulatory side, there is Athena Health, Greenway, Aprima. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, there's so many others, about 15, 20, somewhere between 15 and 20 EHRs, and that number continues to increase. Um, across the space. And then in the post-acute, space, uh, post-acute care space, it's worth mentioning we have companies like uh, Point Click Care uh, as well as Brighttree who really round out a uh, very important continuum of care along with you know, CVS Health, who everybody knows uh, is the, uh, uh, the, the large pharmacy chain. And they're a part of this. They saw this vision from the get-go and have been a m- member of the alliance from very early days. Uh, and again, there are, you know, uh, 25, 30 other members to talk about, and they all have been all extremely great participants in the alliance and making this real. Yeah, and so what the um, you mentioned a couple of state HIEs. Which states are those? Oh, yes, that's right. I'm sorry. The, the state HIEs. So the two states who have joined us so far, that's uh, Texas, the Texas Health Services Authority, as well as the Michigan uh, Health Information Exchange, uh, Health Information Network, I should say, my hand. Um, And there are several other states who are in discussions with us about potentially joining or joining subsequently or or, or what have you. So we're, you know, have been very open uh, about the participation of state HIEs in the alliance. Excellent. So now, why... How and why is Commonwealth unique? There's a lot of interoperability occurring. I mean, when I say a lot, I mean pockets, people trying to do great things. Uh, but what, where are you guys uh, and where is Commonwealth unique? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think maybe a few, few different things which make Commonwealth unique. You know, one is the vision that person-centric, uh, the data should always follow the patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly sort of an implicit part of interoperability, or it feels like it should be. But there's no organization who's first and foremost tackling that problem. So in that way, we're unique. But I think uh, maybe even more importantly, it's just the way this alliance is formed. You know, we are, like I said, we are health IT vendor-led, you know, even though we're open to, to more than that. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact that they're health IT vendors is actually a really good thing because um, that makes access to the patient data simply a feature of the EHR. That's what these health IT vendors have joined in and said, that this should not be an, a separate thing that doctors or patients and so on go to. Part of everyday care should be the ability to get that data right there within the workflow that the patients and their care providers use day in and day out. That means we can actually make you know, patient-centric health data exchange universal, uh, almost like a utility that's just built into the software that you use. 
uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. I think that's pretty, uh, particularly critically important. The third feature is that, you know, the fact that we're across the care continuum, as I mentioned. It's not just doctors. It's not just patients. It's nurses, social workers, pathologists, uh, EMTs, et cetera, et cetera. All of these are actually participants in a patient's care. And then I think the final thing that is probably very unique about the Alliance is that we've built an actual network. Mm -hmm. And for every member who participates in that network, they only need to connect to the network once and they get automatic access to the patient-centric data in, from everybody else who is on the network. Um, and that is really unique because today healthcare industry is all about point-to-point -point connectivity, um, which, is, which is great when you have only a couple of points, right. but the reality is it becomes financially and really practically impossible to do that at a national scale. So the approach we're taking really solves interoperability in a national scale um, uh, in, in, a, in a method that's actually sensible and financially viable for anybody to participate in. No, excellent. Now I see why you guys have grown. So I can think when I peeled off the board, we maybe had maybe 15, maybe 10 to, to 12 uh, EHR participants, and now you guys have grown. So let's start off just kind of peeling back the onion a little bit. On the participant side, how how have you grown? I think you said 35 or so, but I'd love to peel back how many participants, um, you know, the connections, the use cases, just because, uh, you know, my audience is heavily in the hospital, the healthcare space, certainly in the practice space as well. But, um, but yeah, this is something that I certainly want people to know about. So let's talk about, A, a couple more of the participants, and then let's dive into some of the actual connections you guys are doing in your communities and then the use cases. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in our first, um, I think there may be a couple of ways of measuring growth here, to your point. In the first two years of our existence, the key thrust for us was really just gather enough industry participation that we could be on a path, and you know, a viable path towards serving the whole nation. And over the last nine months, I guess now in November, so really I should say 11 months from the beginning of the year, mm -hmm. we've doubled from 17 members um, to 34 members today, and that number just keeps increasing every couple of weeks. Um, so the, num the type of participants, like you said, you know, a year ago and change, it was really mostly EHR vendors, small smattering of non-EHR vendors. Now, you know, less than half of them are EHR vendors, and we're talking about the full care continuum here. Um, and that's really exciting. In terms of, you know, participants and connections, uh, you know, and this is the part that really excites me because at the beginning of this year, and actually it's at Hims this year, you know, we said that we had 60 provider sites live um, and that they were using our services. But the, what's really exciting is that by the end of this year, you know, roughly, we have holidays coming up, so we'll, you know, we'll see if it's a week here or a week there, but roughly at the end of this year, we're going to have more than 5,000 provider sites live. Uh, and that's going to be exciting. And that's that's big to go from sixty to five thousand in a single year. Uh, but that's really just our opening salvo. I, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what numbers we we kind of project out into 2016 and beyond as we uh, really go. Uh, we're, we're really we really become a ubiquitous utility. Five thousand sites, incidentally, across uh, at least 46 states and probably more. So really, a nationwide utility. Wow. So in those, you know, as you're, you're growing here and getting those provider sites up in, in 46 states, it's pretty remarkable. What are the use cases? What are people, you know, what are the vendors, you know, the Athena, the Greenways, you know, what are yeah. they interoperating? What data are they sharing and use case are they moving towards? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what, when we formed the alliance, we have always had a very practical approach. 
and it, and it was formed, you know, with the basis of look, we we all want to solve all issues of interoperability, but let's start with something we know we can all do, and if we put our heads together, we can solve in relatively quick fashion. Um, and um, the, so the use case we picked was patient-centric care at uh, for the purpose of direct care. And what the use case looks like in a nutshell is if I'm a patient and I'm visiting my provider, um, that provider should be able to go and fetch my data from the rest of the network, verify with me that you know my data is my data so that I, so he can make sure he has pulled up the correct information. And we do this in a really unique way at the background, which I, I won't spend a ton of way, a time spending uh, uh, talking about. Um, and then be able to provide me the care right there with that information in hand. Um, so the use case is centered around this uh, direct patient care um, and, and at the point of care. And what uh, what we're doing right now beyond that is, you know, that's a, that use case is very, very uh, germane to both the ambulatory and, uh, and uh, acute care settings in hospitals and clinics. But for, let's say, a home health worker or the pharmacist, um, or the EMT. There may be uh, lots of circumstances where the patient is uh, not there as yet, or maybe the patient's unconscious, or the patient doesn't have the mental capacity to be able to enroll uh, and actually, uh, and uh, you know, consent that they want to, their data to be shared for the purposes of care. And we're expanding our initial use case, this one which is in production that I previously described, such that you can take care of all of those scenarios such that we can have more care of the patient across the care continuum. But it's all centered around the central theme, which is it's all about patient care and it's all about um, uh, patient-centric data that's relevant and germane only to that patient so that you can give them that best care. So, no, terrific. So you're, you have interoperability, just to use some examples, between Greenway and McKesson and Athena and Cerner. But, yeah. Yep. And then what about uh, Greenway to Athena or Greenway to Allscripts? Yeah, yeah. So here's the way we think about it. Yeah, it almost doesn't matter. Okay. If you are, uh, if you are uh, on Commonwealth Health Alliance Network, mm-hmm. then as a provider, what you're looking for is data on the patient. So you say, hey, I have a patient in front of me. Here's the name, demographics. Get me the data from wherever it is on the network. So if it's a Greenway practice and it's a, a PCP in a Greenway practice and he makes that query out, he'll get data back from other Greenway practices. He'll get it from the Cerner Hospital. He'll get it from the oh, Athena okay. PCPs and specialists and, and so on, uh, from the McKesson post-acute care setting. You know, he'll, he'll get that data from whichever locations the patient simply has, uh, has been to um, and has data there. So there is uh, so that interoperability, and that, the nice thing about that is the provider really doesn't need to know beforehand, A, what is the EHR that, my, you know, that somebody else on the network is using, or B, even where that person is. Because for all I know as a provider, I have no idea that this patient took a trip to Hawaii and, con- right. and con- you know, contracted something and is now here with us. But if I get that data that, hey, he was in Hawaii, he went to this piece, he went to this PCP because he was uh, he got sick and so he contracted something. That's you know that's information I didn't even know I didn't know. Yep. So uh, I think that's uh, that's the beauty and the real power of it. Each of these EHR vendors is rolling out uh, Commonwealth services at different paces, um, but they are all rolling out. And I expect you know over the course of the next six, twelve, eighteen months, we'll just see ever increasing density of Commonwealth enabled. Uh, practices and hospitals and post-acute care settings, et cetera, across the country. Fantastic. That's exciting. So 
what are some of the main business drivers for interoperability? And, and obviously, these are growing. Uh, you know, with with the passage of MACRA, the Medicare Access uh, in Children's um, Reconciliation Act, Reconciliation Act. Um, where do you see these evolutions in drivers for interoperability? You know, um, once upon a time, uh, you had to have, if you wanted to interoperate between two uh, locations of care, you needed to get a lot of people on board on the same page. You needed to get the EHR vendors. You needed to get the, the, the two sets of providers who wanted to exchange data. If there were multiple providers on multiple care settings, it was really like getting a small miniature congress together just to exchange any amount of data. That's changing because of, like, you know, macro is a very good example. Macro, accountable care, value-based payment, basically everything that's changing the business model is such that you really have no choice as a provider but to expect to interoperate so that you can make, uh, sorry, so that you can take end-to-end care of your patients. Um, I think that's the, that's the strongest driving force in the industry. Everybody is quite aware of it. Um, and I think that's going to continue powering the drive into the future. I, I have to say that there's another driver, and, and you know maybe it's a repercussion of the changing business models. But you know, uh, five years ago, I, I worked at the ONC, the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, uh, and bringing industry vendors together uh, took some work. And uh, today, what's interesting is that they'll they will happily work together. They will find each other, try to work together. They'll create things like the Commonwealth Health Alliance. Because they realize that interoperability is not, it's not what it used to be from a business perspective. It's no longer a nice-to-have feature. It's, not only, it's no longer something that can be charged for because it's a nice-to-have feature. It's critical for the job that providers are trying to do today. And we have, a, and we have the opportunity to align the right incentives in the industry with the moral imperative to just get the data flow so that patients can get the care they need. Um, so that's those are I think two of the biggest drivers, and, and there's some negative drivers too that are out there. There's always the worry that government may impose some form of punishment for information blocking that will that will uh, that will negatively in fact impact either vendors or their clients. Um, and I, I see those having some impact as well. But I think the positive drivers are really what's exciting because we've, we're just getting the industry is collectively getting past this notion that interoperability should be something that is. Uh, uh, that is optional. Yeah, actually, I, I agree completely. And and some of those, uh, as you mentioned, negative drivers, um, I I think they've worked. They've been pretty strong in moving people who traditionally would have, um, you know, uh, agreed to interoperability, but necessarily, you know, they would have drugged their feet a little bit or just not moved as fast or allocated the resources like we really want them to. But I think even the threat of uh, legislation and or regulation has has moved them so it's moved it's, it's certainly seen as you know as a as a momentous opportunity to uh, to con- for data exchange i should say <laughs> but um, absolutely yeah i'm not sure that we will see legislation and but the threat out there is really all you really need to kind of get more people to the table and the provider side it's not just by no means is this a health it vendor issue uh, you know we have a lot of players uh, and stakeholders we need to get around the table to really truly enable interoperability and data sharing. Uh, so I, for the record, I want to make sure that's clear because this is not a vendor issue. So. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Why don't, you know, having worked at a small ambulatory EHR vendor, I'll tell you that the one provider you never see around at these tables uh, during discussions is the one doctor practice because they can't afford to send any representatives. So one of the things I like about having both provider organizations uh, who tend to be the larger ones who participate in these discussions as well as the vendors 
is that you can capture more of the spectrum of thought um, and really hard, uh, harness everybody's collective experience in making um, interoperability a reality. So, you know, I wholeheartedly agree. You kind of you need to make sure everybody is a part of that equation, and that's why um, uh, that's why we've been very clear about being an open alliance that uh, actively engages people across the spectrum of of care, both in terms of technology and in terms of healthcare. Very true. And for everyone that may have joined us a little late, my guest today is Jit Nasnani, Executive Director of Commonwealth Health Alliance. So. Talk a little bit about Commonwealth's strategic plan and vision for 2016 and maybe even 2017. Sure, absolutely. So here's, here's a perspective I like to uh, – I, I have around the alliance and our success. You know, if you want to enable interoperability of the national scale, you need a few things to happen, uh, particularly if you're an, uh, a vendor-led uh, industry alliance. Um, the first thing you need – is you need a sufficient number of participants to make it worthwhile, to know that you are going to actually be able to get national scale. And obviously, as I shared right now, we're well on track for that with our 34 members and the large shares we hold, uh, or um, rather our members hold, of the, uh, of the technology, um, uh, technology install base out there. The second thing you need once you have enough members or you're on your way to having enough members is you actually need deployment so that they're actually participants for your providers uh, and your patients and so on to exchange with. Um, 2015 has been our initial salvo in this area. That's why I'm so excited about the 5,000 sites that are imminently going live. Um, And that's really where we will continue to focus hardest in 2016 and probably continue, you know, building upon beyond that in 2017. Um, especially as we uh, move, as we get more EHRs vendors deploying and vendors in other care settings deploying. But if you get that right, if you get the night right number of participants, you have a sufficient number of deployment, um, that's going to be a first for the country to actually get that at scale nationally. And that's when I'm expecting we'll start seeing a different sort of problem, the kind of problem you really want to see, which is users turning around and saying, well, this is kind of nice, but uh, can we make this better? Can I utilize this more? I, I mean, I'm starting to get it. I think I can improve the way I practice care with this data, which is, you know, a big turnaround in thinking for, for providers. But how do we get to the place where the user experience just clicks for users, such that they want to use the service? They, they actually really want to utilize it and be able and think of it as an important part of what they do to take care of patients. This year, you know, with the handful of sites we had started off the year with and the, the number we're going to towards in the next couple of months, um, we've, we realized we had just enough to get started on that front. Uh, but there's a lot more to be learned. And the funny thing about learning what the user experience is like and what it can be is you can't do this sitting in an office or talking you know, on a whiteboard. You have to put it out in the market, get feedback, improve, iterate, improve the user experience, improve the data that's shared. And that is a place where we've, again, started this year I see us increasing the focus next year, and it's probably going to be our primary focus as we head into 2017, um, to, take, to take the user experience to levels that health information exchange has not seen in the U.S. so far. And, of course, Justin, you can imagine for us, at the end of the day, all of this is a means, right? The yeah. outcome is better clinical care. And we're going to start trying to connect those two things together over time. I hope we can start it in 2016. My guess is as we continue pushing deployment throughout 2016, we'll start getting real evidence of it mid to late year. Uh, and then at some point in time, you know, in typical Commonwealth fashion, we'll mm-hmm. figure out a way to put a metric around it so that we can feel – so that we know that we're not just patting ourselves on the back. We're actually making an impact to clinical care. Now, that's fantastic. And you mentioned towards the end there, connecting two things. So 
Um, and very near and dear to my heart, uh, obviously, is Commonwealth as a co-founder and very proud of what you guys are accomplishing. And I was very proud to be part of the early days, but also um, a, a co-founder of Care Equality and Sequoia Project and on the curtain on the board of the Sequoia Project. What are your ties or connections that you could see there or a business case? I mean, that may not I'll be fully developed, but I would love to find those organizations interoperating at some point. What are your thoughts there? Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the one thing that sometimes uh, I have to clarify for people uh, in, out there in general is that much like the Internet or much like information technology, you know, interoperability really refers to a wide variety of things you want to do, important problems. And the industry needs different teams to solve different aspects of it, you know, to, and to solve it in different ways. So, I've, you know, I've been talking obviously about Commonwealth, which is solving a very specific problem that's person-centric query and retrieve of data. And we're doing that by building infrastructure that's, that's nationally scalable. So, and, and we're the only ones who are really doing that when you put those things together. Sequoia Project is really a nonprofit holding company doing several really important interoperability initiatives. Some of them are technology in nature. Some of them are policy in nature. Mm-hmm. And almost all of them are actually very complementary to what Commonwealth is trying to achieve. And, and I know we're, we've mentioned Sequoia and Commonwealth, but there are a number of other deserving organizations as well. HIMSS, Direct Trust. Nate, HSPC, and you know, there's a list of other great organizations who are trying to solve different problems or in different ways um, in order to make interoperability a reality for everybody. So it's, there's no surprise that our relationship is very strong across all of these organizations, and we're con- constantly advocating and reinforcing each other's efforts to tackle the spectrum of interoperability problems. Uh, really, it's mathematically and practically impossible for one organization to solve it all. So right. the industry is well served by us working together. Um, and I'm pretty sure that as time goes on, we realize we have more and more opportunities to literally connect the networks. Um, and in some places, it probably just won't make sense to connect the networks. But I see particularly Sequoia and Commonwealth coming closer and closer over time in terms of enabling interoperability across all the members which both of those organizations represent. Excellent. And as always, we always have a great conversation, Jitten. We are running out of time. We're going to have to have you back because there's so many more things to discuss. You guys are doing such great work. But in closing, I always ask my guests this question. What is your favorite place to get or be inspired? (laughs) Uh, Let's see. My favorite place would probably have to be uh, the mountains of New Hampshire. Uh, I'm a little biased because uh, that's where my my wife is from. and uh, I've spent a lot of time hiking those beautiful mountains up there in uh, New Hampshire. The beauty, the serenity, the Christmas, of, the crispness of the air, particularly at this time of year, uh, the strength of the mountains. I mean, it's just, it, I feel like it's the perfect antidote for living the crazy life that we're living right now in healthcare and, and healthcare technology. I couldn't agree more. That I think Mount Washington is there. I haven't been there in a, in a long time, but I think Mount Washington is up there too. So. It is very much there. That's actually where I was married. So wow. that is, uh, I didn't realize very that. much up there in northern New Hampshire. You, you know exactly the neck of the woods I'm talking about. Very cool. Well, congratulations. And Jitten, it was great to have you as my guest today. Uh, I truly appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join the show. Uh, and for everyone listening, thank you very much for joining us. And please tune in weekdays at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. As always, you can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustIn so we can respond to your comments from the show. In addition, all my content will be posted on my website at justinbarnes.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a terrific week.